Hey guys, it's your host Sam Thornton. Before this episode begins, I wanted to promote the DL Sports Instagram page. The page has a wide variety of sports content with graphics, reels, highlights, and more. So before this episode begins, what I want you guys to do is go ahead, pull out your phone, and follow the Instagram page at DLSportsCom. That's at DLSportsCom. Thanks, guys, and enjoy the show. On this week's episode of On the DL Podcast, we have college football week one recap. Oh my God, there were so many games this weekend that we need to go over. All I can say is college football, we missed you and you delivered for us. In addition to going over these games, the college football playoff committee has decided to expand the college football playoff to 12 teams instead of four, so I'll be giving my thoughts on that breaking news. NFL week one is here. Action begins on Thursday, Bills at Rams. I'm going to give some predictions for the season, divisional predictions, conference championship, Super Bowl, all the predictions you want to hear. I'll have it right here for you on this episode. We had a blockbuster move within the NBA. Donovan Mitchell is now a Cleveland Cavalier, so I'll break down that trade as well. And finally, we will end with the betting tavern and look at the best bets for week one of the NFL season. As always, we have a lot to cover, so let's not waste any time and jump right into this episode. Welcome to episode number 10 of On the DL Podcast, and Brian Kelly has executed his players after one game at LSU. Not really, but if you remember that comment from last season against Florida State, Notre Dame with Brian Kelly, you get what I'm saying. The LSU Tigers are winless on the season, 0-1 to start out. Meanwhile, the Vanderbilt Commodores have two wins, two wins on the season before LSU has won. This is the world we currently live in. I'm going to put my LSU slander to the side for a second because that was one of the best Opening week one weekends of college football I've witnessed in a long time, and especially that game, LSU-Florida State, one of the best opening games I have ever seen. This game was intoxicated beyond belief. The LSU defense was getting torched all game long. Their defense was quite literally made of Swiss cheese. It looked like in the third quarter when FSU went up 24-10, that was going to be it. Throwing in the white flag, Jordan Travis was having his way with the LSU secondary, it was over. The game was over until LSU comes rolling back, scores a touchdown in the mid-fourth to keep it a one-score game. They get a quick three and out on defense for the first time pretty much all game long, and then they look up to set up a drive, but then the punt returner from LSU fumbles the punt return, and that was his second muffed punt return of the evening. And FSU has the ball now on LSU's one-yard line, up seven, 24-17, like two minutes left in the game. You think they put it to bed. Never say never in college football. FSU fumbles the ball on the one-yard line, and LSU recovers. They go down to score the game-tying touchdown, 99-yard drive. Triple zeros left on the clock, and they tie the game, or we think they tie the game. Incredible. We're going overtime. Just when you think... You've seen everything in this game so far. LSU blocked extra point. You cannot make this up. This is scripted beyond belief. You can't even you can't even write a script like this. This is why college football is king. FSU 24, LSU 23. This is why college football is superior to the NFL. You cannot argue that based on what happened in New Orleans on Sunday night. Brian Kelly, not a good look. Probably the most memed head coach in the country ever since he took the head coaching position at LSU. Starts with the recruiting schemes, the dances, the 360 cameras, faking a country accent, everything. All of the above. LSU is in trouble. We have LSU players wiping their pictures from the Instagram pages, wiping LSU out of their bios. Horrible time to be an LSU fan. Not a good look right now for LSU. When you look at what went wrong in this game, I already alluded to one issue, which was that LSU defense and specifically the secondary, but the special teams of LSU, what a rough night to be on that special teams unit. I mean, 
absolutely atrocious effort. One of the worst efforts I've seen from special teams in a long time, college or professional. Two muff punt returns set up FSU perfectly, and then you miss the game-tying PAT to send the game into overtime after everything you just went through. You just put that fan base through hell and back, and you miss the game-tying extra point. And just to be clear, that extra point was not on the kicker either. The blocking on the left side of that line was non-existent, and the FSU player easily got to that ball. There was no protection. No one was guarding that man. There was also another crazy missed PAT in the NC State ECU game, which was another insane game this weekend. I don't know what was in the water this weekend with missing extra points. We can get into that later. I'm not going to give props to FSU because they should have lost that game. Even after dominating that game for 95% of it, you can't give them props. But I will say that this FSU team looks miles better than they did last season. They had a sense of togetherness, communication. The talent was clicking. They looked like a team. They were buying into Mike Norville's system. They were buying into everything they had to do for 95% of that game. And Mike Norville needed to win this game. So even though they got this win, you still have to be skeptical after that horrible collapse. We will keep an eye on both these teams throughout the year, especially keep an eye on LSU and how they respond from this loss. But I'll tell you what. This is not going to be an easy mountain to climb for Brian Kelly. Let's take a look at some other games across the nation. I'm here to admit that I was wrong. I was wrong. I could not have been more wrong about the Oregon Ducks. Now, I didn't say that they would win this game, but I did say that they would cover the 17.5 spread. I could not have been more incorrect, and for that, I apologize. I'm a man of encouragement. I'm a man of my word. I, I'm man enough to admit when I was wrong. I was so wrong about this game, and we move on from it. Georgia was much better than I thought they would be. I'll admit that. But I also think that Oregon and the Pac-12 as a whole is a lot worse than I thought they would be, which is a rookie mistake because this is a tale as old as time. It really was a mixture of both. Georgia's really good. Oregon really isn't that great. The SEC remains dominant. Besides the LSU loss, the SEC went undefeated this weekend. 14-1 record this weekend for the SEC. That's pretty damn impressive. I think Georgia is a threat. They proved it this weekend. They'll be dominant against inferior opponents. I don't see them getting upset by anyone. They're definitely in that top tier of teams when it comes to, to the whole slate of college football and the big picture. They do play in the SEC East, as we know. So we're going to have to wait for games against Florida, Tennessee, Kentucky to see who they really are. I think it's safe to say that Oregon misses Mario Cristobal right now. I think they would much rather have him in Eugene, Oregon than in Miami, Florida. I'd assume that's that's a fair assessment, especially after that performance. Bo Nix is now winless, continues his winless streak against Georgia. He's 0-4. Honestly, I thought he would show up. was not a good look for him this weekend. Let's look at another Pac-12 SEC matchup in Florida versus Utah. What a game this was. One of the best games of the weekend. Back and forth all game long. It was physical. Both teams brought lots of intensity. I think the Swamp in Florida, one of the top five toughest environments in stadium is playing. It really doesn't matter who you are. It's never an easy place to play in. Last season, I was at the Alabama and Florida game and got to witness firsthand the intensity that those fans bring to the Swamp. And that was probably the best football environment I've ever witnessed. Alabama almost choked a 21-point lead. That shows you how tough it is to play there. Let's talk about Anthony Richardson, AR-15. He had himself an outstanding game. He has flashes like this. He had flashes like this last season. But let's not get too ahead of ourselves here. Florida is a very streaky team who is great at home. Great at home. The Swamp is always on their side. But outside of their stadium, you don't know which team you're going to get. Some people are calling Anthony Richardson a Heisman favorite, top 10 pick. Yada, yada, yada. Let's pump the brakes here. We've seen him play. He's not a freshman. We know how streaky he is. Highly touted recruit out of high school. Really has not lived up to the hype that he was supposed to be within his first two years at Florida. Really wasn't. Great game by him. Give him all the props in the world for leading his team to victory. But let's, let's, let's hold off on, on, on the Heisman talk for now. Let's hold off on that. Let's see how, let's see how he performs 
against Georgia. Let's see how he performs against Tennessee. Florida defense comes up with a huge interception to win this game in the final seconds within the end zone. Terrific game of college football. Very impressed with how Florida was able to adjust with a brand new coaching staff. Brand new coaching staff. Their whole their whole coaching staff is new. And they played great week one against a top 10 opponent. Got to give them props. Way to adjust for them. Huge win for Florida, but like I said with Georgia, it's even more so the case for Florida. They need to show us who they really are when they play teams like Tennessee, Georgia, etc. Let's watch them on the road first before we throw out the AR-15 for Heisman propaganda. Moving on to the most anticipated game of the day, Ohio State and Notre Dame, top five matchup in the horseshoe. I think this outcome shocked a lot of people. Definitely shocked me, especially in the first half. Notre Dame was up by three at the half, 10 to seven. Ohio State comes back, gets the win 21-10, shuts them out in the second half. I'll admit again, I was wrong about this to an extent. I thought, quite frankly, that this would be a blowout. Two things. Ohio State did not come out ready to play. They didn't come out ready to play. They were not ready. The offensive unit was not ready to fire off. They were not clicking. They were complacent. They did not come out ready to, to perform at their ceiling that we know that they can be at. On the other hand, you've got to give props to Notre Dame, and especially their defense. Their defense was outstanding in the first half. We know that Notre Dame can perform on the defensive side of the ball. That has never been a question when talking about the Notre Dame Fighting Irish and their squad this year. Marcus Freeman, defensive-minded head coach, gritty head coach. We know their defense is good. We know that. They came out ready. I believe that Marcus Freeman's message to them all week, especially when talking about that spread in the press conference, that defensive unit was fired up and it was locked down up until the fourth quarter. This is what Notre Dame does. They always do this. They lose by just enough to where they don't fall enough in the rankings. They'll remain in the playoff conversation even after this performance. They will, trust me. They will do just enough, but they will never get the win. We as the media, we as football fans, we need to stop giving flowers for a job well done. You need to win the game. We need to stop giving flowers to Notre Dame for keeping it close, for exceeding our expectations. That doesn't cut it. That doesn't cut it to get you to the college football playoff. I'm sorry, it just does not. We'll see how they perform the rest of the season, but we can't just say, oh, well, they really exceed our expectations. They surprised us against the top two Ohio State team. No, we can't do that. Ohio State showed flashes this game. Their defense was stout, especially in the second half shutout. But the offense with the obvious trio of Strout, Walker, and Smith and Jigba was just, they were okay. They were, they were I, I get 6.5 out of 10. They were not to where we've seen them be. I do think as the season continues, their dominance will shine. Have to remember it is week one. It's been a while going up against a pretty good defense. I know it's the first game of the season, but it shows you what that offensive trio can do against an elite defense. And I don't know how well down the road that's going to fare against a team like Alabama. Speaking of the Tide, let's briefly go over that game against Utah State. Alabama was dominant. We knew that this would be a blowout. I mean, I was mainly just interested to see how all the new pieces were clicking, most notably the backfield of Gibbs in the receiving core. Bryce Young, the Heisman himself, six touchdowns in three quarters. Six touchdowns in three quarters without even touching the field in the fourth. I, I know it's Utah State, but come on, man. This guy is special. He's the Heisman for a reason. Most impressive players to me in this game Definitely Bryce, but I'm going to go with the edge-rushing duo of Anderson and Dallas Turner. Will Anderson and Dallas Turner, they are a force to be reckoned with. I mean, that is just an unstoppable duo. Even up the middle, Will Anderson up the middle was a beast. And he's even said this in the offseason where he feels comfortable going up against the big boys in the middle. He's too fast. He's too strong. Another player that stood out to me on the receiving core was Treshawn Holden. Very impressive day. He had two touchdowns. Jermaine Burton, transferred from Georgia, was also great. He had two touchdowns. But I am most excited about the freshman wideout, Kobe Prentice. Oh, my goodness. This kid is absolutely electric. He had five receptions for 60 yards. 
and had the longest reception for 25 yards. He is the next one, people. He's next up. Talk about the next Alabama great receiver. It is Kobe Prentice. Just his presence on the field, his route running, his size, his speed. I was shocked at how good this kid is. Keep an eye on Kobe Prentice, especially next week against Texas. That's going to be a fun one to watch. Not only did week one occur, but there was some notable news from the college football playoff committee. Starting in 2026, the playoff field of four teams will expand to a 12-team playoff format. Finally, this is everything we wanted as football fans. Definitely one of the best moves from the playoff committee in a long time. On a fan base perspective, and more so for them on an economic standpoint. Overall, yes, I am a fan of this expansion. I personally thought it would be expanded to eight teams, not 12, but I'll take it. I I don't think that it should be 12 teams. I don't think 12 teams should be allowed to compete for a national title. I think eight is a lot better. It's a much better number. Eight's a much better number. Nor do I ever think that a 12 seed will win the title, especially in a sport like football. It's so top heavy. It's not there's really just not going to be a Cinderella story. The best teams win at the end of the year. Top four teams win at the end of the year. We've seen that with the college football playoff. This was purely an economic maneuver from the college football playoff committee. It has nothing to do with giving more teams a shot to win the whole thing. It has nothing to do with giving teams a fair chance. I'm not saying that this is a waste, but the 1-12 and game, that's not going to be close. Alabama playing, I don't know, Alabama playing Oklahoma State, Alabama playing NC State, but the 5-8 and eight game, the 6-7, and seven, definitely great games. We're going to get some amazing football out of this, but the best team who was a top four seed will end up winning. I don't think anyone can really argue that. I'm sure we will obtain more details about the actual format of the expansion in due time. Perhaps there will be a buy system for the top teams. But anyways, exciting stuff for college football. All right, let's get into some NFL talk. We have made it. It is officially week one of the NFL season. We kick everything off on Thursday night football. Bills at Rams. What a terrific game to get everything started. I'm literally counting down the seconds until it starts. Cannot wait for that matchup in SoFi Stadium. In honor of everything starting, I'm going to give my division winners from each conference. Then I'll give you my NFC and AFC championship game matchup. And finally, my Super Bowl matchup with my Super Bowl champion. So let's get right into this. We're going to begin in the AFC South. We're going to go from descending order here. So we'll start with four and then go all the way up to one for each of these divisions. AFC South, at the four slot, I have the Houston Texans. We know that. They are struggling, struggling franchise. Don't really see them making any improvements uh, this season. Uh, We know they have Davis Mills at quarterback. Damian Pierce is a rising stud that we see going up in fantasy draft boards. You have Brandon Cooks, but I don't know. I just don't really see any upside for this squad. I think it's going to be a bottom feeder team once more. Three slot, we have the Jacksonville Jaguars. I do think the Jaguars got slightly better over the offseason I think Trevor Lawrence is in for a much better year two in store for him compared to his rookie year they bring in Christian Kirk from the Arizona Cardinals as as a wide receiver gave him a big contract in the offseason you have the addition of Travis Etienne remember Travis Etienne running back out of Clemson already has that connection with Trevor Lawrence I believe he's going to be a pretty formidable running back for that team a lot of people have mixed emotions about him but he will bring a lot to this team. I'm just really worried about their defense and don't see them making any sort of significant push in this division. At the two slot, I have the Tennessee Titans. I think the Tennessee Titans are an, are a very interesting team to keep an eye on this year. As we know, in the past, they have surpassed expectations within the last few years. They always end up getting around 10 to 11 wins a year recently, especially with the engine that is Derrick Henry 
Derrick Henry is getting older. As we know, he got injured last year, and they got rid of some weapons, offensive weapons in A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, although Julio Jones was really not utilized that much last year. A.J. Brown is a big loss for them. They do bring in wide receiver from the Rams, Robert Woods, and they drafted Traylon Burks out of Arkansas. So we'll see how that team comes together. I'm just not really confident that they're going to be able to string another 10-win season together. I have them winning somewhere around 8-9 to nine games this year. I think the line is set at 9.5, but a very interesting team to keep an eye on. They always surpass our expectations, so don't be surprised if they come out and do win that mark. Number one, I have the Indianapolis Colts. I think the, I just think that the engine, the stud, the superstar that Jonathan Taylor is for that team mixed with their O-line, and now they bring in Matt Ryan from the Atlanta Falcons. I think that offense just has a lot of good weapons, not to mention they have Michael Pittman on the outside in the receiving core. I just really like this team. I think they have a very good all-around roster. I think that this is the year the Colts finally take back the AFC South. I do have them winning even maybe even two games in the playoffs this year. I think they will win somewhere around maybe, eh, I'll say 10, 11 games. Moving on to the AFC North. Finishing last in this division, I have the Cleveland Browns. I know this might come as a surprise to a lot of people. I feel like a lot of people have the Pittsburgh Steelers at the bottom of this division. Very gritty AFC North division as always. I just don't see Jacoby Brissett leading this team to many wins while Deshaun Watson is suspended for 11 games. I just don't see it happening. I really just don't see it happening. And even when Deshaun Watson comes back, He's gonna have a lot to. He's gonna have a lot on his plate. He's not gonna have a lot of time to get ready. I just, I, I just don't think he's gonna be the same player that he was in Houston. I, I just don't see it. I don't see the the running game is great with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, but I don't know. I just, I just, I just don't see. I don't see the Browns having a very good year this season. Three slot. I have the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Pittsburgh Steelers. I think are a very underrated team this year. I think they could surprise a lot of people, especially on the offensive side of the ball. We know what their defense is capable of. Their defense with Mike Tomlin, head coach, is always good, always a great defense to have. I just, they have a lot of good young weapons. Najee Harris, as we know, we know what he's capable of. He's a great running back out of Alabama, had a great rookie season, can do so many different things in so many different ways. Mitchell Trubisky, at quarterback, I think he gets way too much hate for his production. I mean, you have to remember, he led that Bears team. I know it was a great defense, but he led them to the playoffs and led them to, what, 12 wins that year? I mean, he's a good quarterback. I, I, I He's he's really gets way too much hate for, for his production. I just, Not to mention you have Deontay Johnson, their receiving core. They have Deontay Johnson. They have Chase Claypool. Uh, they drafted George Pickens out of Georgia. I think he's going to be a really good rookie for them this year. I think that their upside is really high. Coming in at second, I have the Cincinnati Bengals. I think the Bengals are going to have another solid season. I think the Bengals are going to take a little bit of a step back. Uh, I think they definitely exceeded expectations. They have a great offense, um, one of the best offenses in the league. Uh, when you talk about a guy in Joe Burrow, we know what he can bring to the table for that team, how he can lead that team. We know what Jamar Chase can do. Absolute world-class talent. Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon. Uh, they're a great team. Their offense is elite and maybe one of the best offenses in the league. But I, I just have questions about uh, their sustainability. Coming in at number one, I have the Baltimore Ravens. I think the Ravens are... One of the best all-around rosters in the NFL, especially in the AFC North. I just think that their defense mixed with their offensive weapons and Lamar Jackson and J.K. Dobbins, I think, is going to come back and have a great year after injury. Hopefully he is not banged up. I think he got banged up in training camp earlier this week, but hopefully he can turn it around for them. Uh, Rashad Bateman is a guy I think that a lot of people aren't giving enough respect to. So I have the Ravens finishing first as my AFC North champion. Moving on to the AFC East, finishing in last place, I have the New York Jets. I don't think that's really a surprise to many people. 
I do think the Jets brought in draft value out of the NFL draft this year. Garrett Wilson, Sauce Gardner. But I just think this team is too young still. They, they don't have enough going for them. I think as long as something significant happens for them, I just don't see the Jets making significant strides and winning a division anytime soon. Coming in in third, I have the New England Patriots. I know this can come as a surprise to a lot of people. I think a lot of people think that it's going to be a big battle between the Dolphins and the Patriots this season. I just really have questions about the Patriots offense. Who's going to be their offensive coordinator? I know Bill Belichick, one of the greatest to ever do it. No denying that. You know, their offensive line has been really pitiful this preseason. I, I have questions about their offensive line. I think Mac Jones is a great player, but I just don't know. I, I have questions about their offense, and I can't say enough right now, which can put them over the Miami Dolphins, who I have finishing second in the AFC East this season. The Dolphins, as we know, brought in tons and tons of weapons. You talk about Guy and Tyree Kill. He is a game changer on any team. I think two is going to have an interesting year. Um, it's really all going to depend. Having, having the Dolphins at second here really all depends on on Tua's production. Um, you have Jalen Waddle, you have Tyree Kill, you have Chase Edmonds, you have Mike McDaniel as your offensive coordinator. We know what their defense can do. Um, their defense is a top ten defense in the NFL. It's really just all going to fall fall on Tua. And I've I've I've, I've talked about this before, but. That is my explaining. I'm just buying stock in him. I, I think his upside can lead them to second in the AFC East. My AFC East champion is the Buffalo Bills. I don't think that's really a surprise to anyone here. The Bills are definitely, I think they are favorited to win the Super Bowl this year. Um, talk about a team who is just top, top end in both offense and defense. Josh Allen could win the MVP receiving core Stefan Diggs Gabriel Davis Isaiah McKenzie you bring in a guy in James Cook who I think is going to be utilized a lot and it's going to even win the starting position over Devin Singletary at some point this year talk about number one defense they're just they're an elite team and I don't think you can really argue not having the Bills as your AFC as your AFC East champion finally to finish out the AFC we have the AFC West this is I had to go back and forth on this for a long time this one definitely took me the longest out of all the division predictions. But here we go. I'm going to go with the fourth slot, finishing in last, Las Vegas Raiders. I've been back and forth on the Raiders, the Broncos, the Chiefs, Chargers, everybody in this in this division. So this could this could go either way. All of these teams are great, and all of these teams should deserve to make the playoffs, but that's just not how it works, unfortunately. I had the Raiders last simply based on their defense. I just I, I just have questions on the defensive side of the ball. I know they have Max Crosby. They have other weapons. Their secondary is vulnerable. And I think that going up against teams in the AFC West with elite offenses, you have Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes. I don't think you want to bank on the you don't want to bank on your secondary going up against those elite quarterbacks. I just I, I have concerns about their secondary. It really comes down to the completeness of a roster here. They have one of the best offenses in the league. I think they have the best receiving core in the league. I just I, I just don't think it's going to be enough. And it's hard to say that when you have Devontae Adams, Derek Carr, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, Josh Jacobs. The list goes on and on with the, with the, with the studs on this roster. But I just don't think it's going to be enough to trump the third team on my prediction which is the Denver Broncos. And that's solely based on the Broncos' defense. So that's the sole reason I have the Broncos at third, the Raiders at fourth, based on that defensive matchup. I think that gap is too wide, and I think that gap is too important to note. Coming in on my second slot, I have the Kansas City Chiefs. I think two words, Patrick Mahomes. You can't count this guy out. I, I, I've seen some people say, Dude, I don't know. I, I think the Chiefs could finish last in this division this year. That could very well happen, but I just I have to I have to remain on the Patrick Mahomes bandwagon. I cannot take anything away from him when he has not when he when he just continues to deliver and play in a, at an elite level year in and year out. He is the best quarterback in the league for a reason. And 
I just think he's capable. Even with this new-looking offense, you bring in new guys. You don't have Tyreek Hill anymore. You still have Kelsey. You have Marquez Valdez-Scantling. You have Juju Smith-Schuster, who I think is going to have a big year. You still have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. You have a good O-line. Their defense is formidable. I just don't see the Chiefs not making the playoffs as long as Patrick Mahomes is leading that team. My AFC West champion is the Los Angeles Chargers. The Chargers, this is going to be such a fun team to watch this year. I think they are inbound for a 13-win season or more. They are the most, I think them or the Bills are the most complete rosters, have the most complete roster in the NFL. When you talk about the offensive side of the ball, you have Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen. You have a great O-line now. You, you, you drafted Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern last year in the draft, who has become one of the best linemen in the league. Mike Williams, Austin Eckler. And then you talk about the, the other side of the ball, which they had troubles with last year on defense. That was their downfall. So what do you do? You bring in Khalil Mack. You bring in J.C. Jackson. You sign Derwin James as the highest paid safety in the league. All of these things lead up to good things in the future. And I think that the Chargers are in for a huge year in the AFC West and in the AFC in general. Now let's move on to the NFC. Let's start with the NFC South, just like we started with the AFC South. We're going to go in the same order as we did in the AFC. Coming in last in the NFC South, I have the Atlanta Falcons. I just don't see, I don't see the Falcons having a good year this season. I think that they are going to be a bottom feeder in the NFL. Unfortunately, I know you have weapons in Kyle Pitts. I know you have Drake London from USC out of the draft. And Cordell Patterson is a, is a player who surprised a lot of people last year. But I just, I, their, their defense is awful. And I don't think that Desmond Ritter or Marcus Mariota is going to be able to deliver for this team, be able to get, the, get those receivers the best production that they can get. I don't see the Falcons having a, having a good season, so I'm going to put them last in my NFC South ranking. Coming in at third, I have my very own Carolina Panthers. I think the Panthers will be lucky if they get six wins on the season. Honestly, I think if they get six to seven wins, that would be, that would be a great year considering what happened last season with Sam Darnold and P.J. Walker and the whole, the whole crew who was leading us last year. I know we have Baker Mayfield now, but I still don't feel I'm still not I'm I'm still skeptical. I don't I don't feel good about this team. There's a lot of areas that we need to improve on still and I just think that playing the Bucks twice a year will probably split one with the Saints and just our overall just our overall schedule. I just I I I'm 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 going to lean on the side of of uh of of skepticism here and I'm going to put us third in the NFC South rankings. Coming in at second, I have the New Orleans Saints. I think the Saints are a team that a lot of people aren't giving enough respect to. And I know you have Jameis Winston, um, but honestly, I think Jameis Winston's a pretty good QB. And I, I know that sounds kind of out there, but he's he played well before he got injured last year and didn't turn the ball over nearly as much as he did in his last season with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. On the offensive side of the ball, you have Alvin Kamara, you have Jarvis Landry. You have Chris Olave, who you drafted out of Ohio State. Um, you have Michael Thomas coming back, and on the defensive side of the ball, you have a you have a top five defense. So, I think this team can definitely make the playoffs and maybe even win a playoff game. So, I have them second in my NFC South rankings, and for my NFC South champion, I have Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I know they're battling. With a lot of different things right now, especially their O-line um, is all banged up and Tom Brady's going through some personal things, but same with Patrick Mahomes, two words, Tom Brady. I'm not going to slander the GOAT. I think he is capable of doing great things for this team still. I think he's going to lead them deep into the playoffs and I'm never going to count him out. And they still have a great roster, great defense. They still have some good weapons. Chris Godwin is injured right now, but it'll come back eventually. You have Mike Evans, Leonard Fournette. I just think that this team is too talented and too poised to not win the NFC South. Moving on to the NFC North, finishing last in the NFC North, I have the Chicago Bears. I think the Bears are going to be the worst team in the NFL probably this year. And I feel bad for Justin Fields because I do think he's a great talent. 
but I just don't see them panning out. I, 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 I just don't see that team panning out at all. Too many questions on the O-line. Um, their defense isn't anywhere near to where they used to be a few years ago. And I just don't see a good year inbound for the Chicago Bears. So I have them last in my NFC North rankings. And third, I have the Detroit Lions. I think Detroit can actually win five or six games this year. And that's not crazy to say. I think they got significantly better. I think that Dan Campbell is one of the best coaches in the NFL. And you bring in a guy like Jamison Williams out of Alabama to the forefront of your receiving core. Jared Goff, I think, has always been pretty consistent in his career. You have DeAndre Swift in your backfield. And I think this team can 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 definitely make some noise on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, their defense is just what is holding them back. So I have the Lions finishing third in the NFC North. Second, I have the Minnesota Vikings. The Minnesota Vikings, I think, could compete for the Green Bay Packers for the title, but I'm not going to give the edge to them quite yet. Kirk Cousins, mediocre QB, but has a lot of great weapons around him. Talk about a guy and Justin Jefferson. Uh, one of the best receivers, if not the best receiver in the NFL. You have Adam Thielen. You have K.J. Osborne. You have Irv Smith Jr., tight end. And you have Dalvin Cook, who's looking for another great year. So I like the Vikings. I could see the Vikings winning maybe eight to nine wins this year. And um, I like them finishing second and competing for that title. Number one, I have the Packers. I know the Packers have a lot of questions on offense. Who's going to be their number one receiver? Who's going to step up for them? But in the regular season, man, Aaron Rodgers, he just, he delivers. And whenever you have questions about the Packers and what they can do year in and year out, he just always delivers for them in the, in the regular season. Postseason's a different story. But the Packers, I have the Packers winning the NFC North once again. Moving on to the NFC East, uh, finishing last, I have the Washington Commanders. Like the Bears, I think the Commanders are going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL. I just don't see Carson Wentz having a good year. I think he, I think his time in the NFL is coming to a close. And I think going to a team like the Commanders is one of probably the worst option for him. So I have the Commanders last. Third, I have the New York Giants. I think the Giants are also going to have a horrible year. I just don't see Daniel Jones is 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 not a good quarterback. I still don't understand why he's the quarterback of that team, why they drafted him so high, why they were so high on him. I don't see Saquon Barkley coming back and performing well. Their defense has questions. I just they're just not a good roster. So I'm not going to I'm not going to put them in in the two slot or even contending with the Cowboys or the Eagles. On my second position, I have the Dallas Cowboys. I do not think that they are going to win the NFC East. I think they will finish second behind the Eagles. I just, I, 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 don't, I don't see them having a good year either. I just don't see the Cowboys winning this division, um, especially with the moves that the Eagles made. I think the Eagles made some really good moves this offseason, obtaining A.J. Brown from the Tennessee Titans. I think they drafted well. I think that um, they're an overall better team. I think that the the Cowboys questions at running back with Ezekiel Elliott and CD Lamb becoming the number one receiver. I just don't like those moves and I'm going to give the edge to the Eagles here. So I'm going to give the Eagles the nod as the NFC East champions. Finally, to round out all the divisions, we have the NFC West finishing in last. I have the Seahawks. The Seahawks, I think are also going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL. Just so many questions at quarterback. Geno Smith is just not going to be the guy. And even though they do have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and Kenneth Walker, I just don't see I don't see that offense making much production. Um, they might sneak in a few wins here and there, but I don't see them going very far on this year at all. Third, I have the San Francisco 49ers. I think Trey Lance is in for a big year, but I just think that the explosiveness that the Arizona Cardinals bring to the table outweigh the 49ers. And I'm just, I just feel more comfortable right now with Kyler Murray over Trey Lance. So that's why I'm going to put the Cardinals over the 49ers. And then my NFC West champion is the Los Angeles Rams, Super Bowl defending champs. I think they're going to be great again. And even though you lose some defensive players and Von Miller, you bring over Bob, you bring over Bobby Wagner, you lose Robert Woods, you bring over Allen Robinson from Chicago. And I just feel good about their team again this year. So 
I'm going to have the Rams winning the NFC West. All right, now for my AFC Championship prediction, I'm going to predict that the AFC Championship game is going to be between the Los Angeles Chargers and the Buffalo Bills. You talk about two teams with the most, probably the most complete rosters in the NFL. And you have two stud young QBs, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen. That's going to be one hell of a game. I think that that's going to be a great game between those two teams. I think both those teams will go far this year in the playoffs. I'm going to say the Chargers and the Bills as my AFC Championship game. For my NFC Championship game, we're going to have a rematch of the divisional round last year in the NFC, Bucks and Rams, Tom Brady, Matt Stafford. I think that's going to be such a good game. That would be such a good game to see again. I don't know if they play in the regular season. I don't think they play in the regular season again this year, but I'm hoping for that playoff matchup again in the NFC Championship. That would be a hell of a matchup. For my Super Bowl prediction this year, I'm going to predict that the Los Angeles Chargers make it to the Super Bowl and they will play against Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think that this will be a great a great matchup again. Young QB and Justin Herbert against the GOAT, Tom Brady. Such a fun, high-powered offense against a great, formidable defense and vice versa. It would be a great matchup to see. And winning that game as my Super Bowl champs, I had the Los Angeles Chargers winning the Super Bowl. Shifting gears, still on the topic of NFL football, Russell Wilson signed a five-year extension with the Denver Broncos, $245 million in cash, $165 million guaranteed. Russ is now in Denver for the next seven years. This contract prompts a couple of questions. First, was this the right move by the Broncos? Do we think that Russell Wilson will be able to win another championship? With this roster, I definitely think it's possible. He's going to be a Bronco until he's around 40, I think, and I think that he'll have to get one within the next three years for it to be a serious possibility. So we talk about a three- to five-year window there. I don't think the Broncos really had a choice here. I think that it was the right move to go ahead and lock him up. I think when trying to shift your squad around in the offseason – if things aren't working within one area of the team, regardless if it's offense or defense, free agents will find playing with Russell Wilson very attractive. He's a great leader, amazing human being, talented, confident, all the characteristics you want to see in a leader for your team. This was definitely the right move by the Broncos front office. The other question that this extension presents actually has nothing to do with Russell Wilson at all. It has to do with Lamar Jackson. With this extension, I think we can agree that Lamar is going to get a shit ton of money, whether that be this year or next offseason. He keeps taunting the Ravens on Twitter. I know it's all for the clicks. I know it's all for you know, the attention that he's trying to present, but he wants his money now. I think we're going to see him get a contract worth $230 million guaranteed in money. Now, do I believe he deserves that? Absolutely not. Lamar is worth maybe 150 in guaranteed money, but in no realm is Lamar Jackson worth, worth the most money in the NFL. I get it. He's one of one. He's a unique player. He's won MVP, but he needs to do it again. How many playoff wins does he have? He has one. One playoff win. He is one in three in the playoffs. Why the hell do you think you should be the highest paid quarterback in the NFL when you have one playoff win and four appearances? Does he deserve an extension? Should the Ravens keep him? Yes, absolutely. But not at that price. Not at $230 million guaranteed in cash. I might get a lot of hate for this. But I'd rather, as a front office executive, have a guy in Jimmy Garoppolo, who has been in the Super Bowl, one pass away from a championship, not enough people talk about that, has proven his worth in the postseason for a third of the cost over Lamar Jackson at $230 million guaranteed. Am I saying that Lamar is better than Jimmy G? No, I'm not saying that. I don't want to get this narrative twisted. What I'm saying is I'd rather have a guy who's done it multiple times for less money over someone who, has, who only has one win in the postseason for three times the cost. Something to think about, something to keep an eye on. I think the Ravens will end up giving him the extension he wants, but he does not deserve it yet in my mind. 
There was a blockbuster trade in the NBA this week. Donovan Mitchell has been acquired by the Cleveland Cavaliers in a trade that sent Mitchell to the Cavs in return for Laurie Markkinen, Ochi Abaji, Colin Sexton, and three first-round picks and two pick swaps. Yes, that is a haul for Donovan Mitchell, but I think the Cavs actually won this trade. It all has to do with the nucleus they created. They kept the most valuable players from that core group, leading with the all-star Darius Garland, who signed an extension this summer, so we knew he wasn't going anywhere. You have Evan Mobley, and you have Jared Allen. You already have the best young front court in the NBA, and now that you have one of the best overall backcourts in the NBA, that is a force to be reckoned with. That big four of Mitchell, Garland, Allen, and Mobley, that's an elite young nucleus. And honestly, those picks mean nothing. They have now set themselves up for a five-year-plus window. In addition to them, you have Karis LeVert, Rubio, Ricky Rubio off the bench, Isaac Okoro, Sadie Oseman. You have others as well. That team is deep, young. I'm pretty sure it's like an average age of 25 years or less. They have set themselves up for a terrific young career ahead and a terrific window ahead. They are a team to keep an eye on for sure. When you look at the Utah Jazz now, this is kind of insane. They turned Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell into like 14 players. Colin Sexton, Malik Beasley, Lissandro Bomaro, OG Abaji, who was the 14th pick in the draft, Walker Kessler, who was the 22nd pick in the draft, Jared Vanderbilt, Laurie Markkinen, Taryn Horton Tucker, Stanley Johnson, seven first-round picks, and three pick swaps. That is absolutely insane. They won the Gobert trade. I am not... I'm not gonna I'm not gonna discuss that. They definitely won that trade. And they got way more than they should have in that trade. A lot of those names are great prospects or could turn into great players. Most notably, the seven first round picks are that's 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 absurd. They got seven first round picks out of two players. That's already absurd. And then you add all those players to that list with three pick swaps. But it's still a gamble in the end with how the NBA works nowadays. Either way, you can turn them into players or use them as leverage whenever a free agent wants to find a new home. However, it does suck that they're the Utah Jazz because no one is going to want to go there. So it's probably best for the Jazz to just build themselves up, build that franchise, build a new young core, rebuild. But they have all the weapons to do so, and they did exactly what they wanted to do by trading Rudy and Donovan. They got everything and more for those two players. And I'm sorry for the Jazz fans who listen to this, but that's just the honest truth. Definitely a crazy trade. Ready and excited to see where this Cavs team can finish in the East. I'm going to predict a top six seed, possibly second round in the playoffs. They, they might need one more piece in the small forward slot to get them over the hump into a finals contender. Does not even have to be a solidified, bona fide all-star. But it can be an upgrade from Karis LeVert. Not going to knock him, though. Good player. Although Mobley could be an all-star in the next season, that would give you a formidable big three in Cleveland. All right, guys, to finish up the show, we're heading back into the betting tavern just in time for week one of the NFL season. Again, I'm going to give you guys three picks for this upcoming weekend to bet on. These are my most confident picks. And it also goes without saying again, only bet where you are comfortable losing. My first pick of the weekend, NFL Week 1, we have the Niners at the Bears. Niners favored, minus 7. I'm going to take Niners spread, minus 7, all day long. I think the Bears, like I noted earlier in the division breakdown, I think they're going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL. I don't care if they're playing at Soldier Field. I don't care if their defense has a historically great defense. I don't want to hear any of that. Two words, Trey Lance. I think he's going to run and pass all over this Bears team. It doesn't matter if they're at home. I think Shanahan and the whole crew, they're going to be ready to play. Niners defense is terrific. Bears aren't going to be able to score against them. That O-line is not going to be able to handle San Francisco's D-line. Not a good matchup. I think minus seven 
is a great pick. You can even alt spread it if you want to. But I'm going to go Niners minus seven at the Bears as my first pick. My second pick is another sort of mismatch. We have an AFC South divisional matchup. Colts at Texans. Colts favored minus eight over the Texans. We just have to talk about Jonathan Taylor here. If you have him on your fantasy team week one, he is going to go off against the Texans. That D-line, it's, it's going to it's gonna get harassed. Jonathan Taylor is going to run all over the Houston Texans. He might have four touchdowns. Minus eight, you have, to, you have to take that. That is the game that stood out to me the most. Colts at Texans, that line is going to be pushed around. Even on the flip side, on the other side of the ball, there is no way that the Texans O-line is going to be able to open up anything against the Colts defense because they have a good defense too. I see this being a beatdown first game of the year in, in Houston. I like Colts minus eight over the Texans. For my final pick, I'm going to go Titans versus Giants. I'm taking Titans minus five and a half. I think that line is way too low. I don't know if Vegas knows something for some reason, but Titans at home, Giants have been struggling the last few years. I think that Derrick Henry's going to have a big game. I think you're going to see a lot of production in that first game from Traylon Burks, maybe even Robert Woods in there too. I just think I, I I just think that minus five and a half is way too low for that game, especially given that matchup. And I think that the Titans at home are really hard to beat in the first place. And then we don't even have to get into the production that the Giants are going to use. I just I, I I don't I don't I don't see that happening. I don't see an upset brewing. Those are my three picks I like the most. Yes, they're all lopsided matchups, but I like all of them. None of them really scare me. I'm taking the Niners, Colts, and Titans. Good luck this weekend, friends, and let me know if you want to tell me on this. All right, guys, that is all for this episode of On the DL Podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. We have lots of exciting content to look forward to in the upcoming weeks, and I will see you guys next week.